Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. My name is Father Bonaventure. Um, this is a special episode of Godsplaining. This is a guest-splaining episode where once a month we come and invite a particular guest um, from different fields. So we have poets and we have theologians and we have just regular old priests and such. Uh, this episode is a special one, though, because we have a, a professional artist. I'm joined by Mr. Sam Rosenthal, who's a Chicago-based artist, um, who's going to join us. And this is um, Sam. First off, welcome to Godsplaining. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. All That's right. great. Um, so I make a few comments about this episode. It's a special episode. Uh, one, because uh, I think you're going to love talking or listening to a real artist. And the idea behind this episode will be to kind of get behind the eyes of an artist and maybe with that get a sense of how we should see the world and maybe also dispel some myths about art that some of us might have, which we'll talk about. And also to introduce you just to Sam's work and American Impressionism, you could say in general. Uh, I think it'll be really beautiful. One thing to say about this episode, of course, is since it's about painting, this might be one that you'll want to watch some of it uh, more than just listen to. Now, we'll be talking, of course, and so you can get plenty out of this episode by, by just hearing Sam explain uh, the value of art and how an artist thinks and how an artist sees things and all this. But we'll also have the images, we're talking about some of, some of his images, some of his work, and that will be there. So you might want to, if you don't usually watch us on YouTube um, because you don't like seeing our faces or because you're driving, you don't want to get an accident, that's totally fine. Um, but if, you, if you'd like to get the most out of this episode, hop on over and take a look at some of this beautiful art. We'll also link uh, Sam's, I'll mention this at the end as well, Sam's website, samrosenthal.com. They'll be linked at the bottom of these pages and on Twitter and, and all this. So you can go to his, see his art. We're just going to look at a few pieces of his, but I think you'll enjoy them. So without further ado, um, I want to open up this conversation with, with Sam Rosenthal about art and his experience by just starting with... Um, so Sam, what were your, what artists were your inspirations, you could say, how you got into art, and then briefly, um, how you became an artist in terms of training. I think people think that artists are people who just always drew well, and it doesn't require, and so it's like, if you sing well, then you just knew how to do that, you didn't actually have to train. I think they might, artists might think, oh, well, you know, some people like to draw and some people don't. So could you tell me about maybe just your inspiration, inspir a few inspirations, you could say, of who, who really affected you artistically, and then just a brief discussion of your training you could see in the background okay um i don't know where you want me to start some of my favorite painters especially if you're going american impressionism would be people such as john singer Sargent, probably more than anybody else is a guy whose work i look to he did portraits he did great watercolors he started off incredible and just kept adding on to his abilities uh throughout his life so he started off at the top and kept rising. So he, he was a, ma a major and still is a major inspiration. Mm. There were, and I, there was a big show of his work when I was 17 that I went to see before that I wanted to be an illustrator. I didn't know that that field was as it was then was about to disappear and go either go away completely or in other elements go to straight to computers. I'm showing my age a bit, but mm. that became a big thing right when I was in college and wasn't painting. But in 1987, in Chicago, where I'm from, 
there was a Sargent show and that was a huge inspiration. And I was at art school at the time I graduated high school early. And a lot of what I was learning was very similar, not, not at the level, but it would lead you to, you know, it was a modern day connection to what was that stuff. So the work wasn't just this historical thing. Whereas in the past, when I was younger, I would look at that type of work if I saw it, which was rare and go, well, there was no link to how anybody could possibly do it or create work like that. And it had less of a connection to my contemporary reality. Uh, but I was getting that and not that I'm trying to be a link to the past that way. My work's very much about the present, but it's informed by that. And I love that work and there's a vitality to it. Yes. And a lot of immediacy, but also a resonance where you can live with it and see more and more and more. So that that was extremely inspiring. I had, there was different in Chicago, they have a large French Impressionist uh, collection at the Art Institute, Museum of the Art Institute. But also there were a lot of other countries that had mm -hmm. their versions often at the concurrently with France, like Russia and Italy at the Macchioli and um, those people, you know, those, the, their works also were huge. In Spain, there was Soroya, who was probably the greatest painter I can think of for capturing bright sunlight. Okay. And, and there was a show of his work when I was in college in St. Louis, where I was in college at Washington University for a couple of years while I got a BA um, there. And the sh there was a Soroya show there. And that was hugely, uh, those shows were very influential mm -hmm. to me and inspiring. Right. Okay. Um, now you mentioned, I think this is, this is a good time to bring the question of impressionism. Um, so obviously you probably don't want to describe, you wouldn't want to describe yourself by some ism label per se, but if people ask what kind of art or what you know, school you, you, you're yeah. in, I've seen things like urban impressionism on your website or impressionistic realism or just impressionism or realism. How do you, how do you describe uh, impressionism and what's different from impressionism, say, from other art that people might see? Okay. There isn't a clear, I mean, there might be, if you go to a dictionary, clear-cut definition. People, when they think of impressionism, they probably think of work by Monet with his haystacks or his paintings of the churches or Renoir, where it's this very high-key, bright, broken color. And that stuff was impressionism, and it was from the impressionist school. But worldwide, it's a way of seeing things as light coming at you, you don't just see things, you see the light and it's the reflection of light because that's actually what's hitting your retina. Mm -hmm. And that would be impression to paint the way things are appearing to you as opposed to necessarily what you know. I'm not a pure impressionist, by the mm -hmm. way. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if there is. And because I do a lot of stuff based on what I know, but if you try to paint something or draw something as you know it, but not how you see it, oftentimes, it will look like something that doesn't isn't there, that doesn't belong there because it isn't visually truthful. The criticism that can come to that, somehow it didn't come to Monet, but it did to Sargent, is that it's just purely superficial uh, because you're just painting appearances, you're not doing the deeper meaning. Doesn't mean you can't get the deeper meaning or something mm -hmm. deeper underneath in a portrait. But the way I, one of the, there's a lot of ways, but one of the things I, tend to uh, counter that with is 
you see with your eyes that you see through your eyes it's not with your eyes mm. so that's where a camera would just if you just had a camera that's sitting there you aren't even composing or anything if you're randomly pointing a camera mm. at things that would be just seeing through it mechanically it's a bit different when you're seeing through your eyes and then you're what's attracting you what you're trying to get everything is subordinated to both your abilities and your vision and what you consider important. Yeah, I think, so obviously all of a sudden I want to go on spin off and a whole discussion about the phenomenological tradition of philosophy that looks at the way we things are given to us that gives us a sense of how things are um, and the appearances versus reality and the fact that these aren't two different things, but actually you get the reality through the appearances. But, you know, we're just going to have to have... I'll do a few things very quickly that might... Please, great. I don't know. You are affected by everything around you. So when photography came in, that affected photography and to paint affected impressions because people could go outside and paint. Mm -hmm. And also the way things were perceived were different. Rustling leaves were different because you had photographs. And that that affected actually Mm -hmm. the way you perceive and see rustling leaves so the paintings they did were affected by photography and Rodin in his uh, his book where he was interviewed on art talked about Moybridge's photographs which you can find online he did there were these motion photographs and it was a horses galloping and it looks like a horse jumping up and down we didn't even know as humanity how they actually were moving their legs until then but as he said with Delacroix's paintings of horses galloping it had the movement in ways it was more truthful to how they move, even if it wasn't technically accurate to they do this. It wasn't a frozen moment in time, the way a photograph of them was in those photographs, the motion photographs, the horses look like they're jumping up and down. But it also does, there was um, fake uh, Vermeers around the time of World War II, Mm -hmm. right after World War II that came out. And if you look at them now, they wouldn't fool anybody because there were so many telltale signs of the 1940s in these paintings but because it, you're in the middle of it, you didn't see your flaws towards trying to do, they were actually, you got away with it for a little while. Mm-hmm. There's no way it would happen now because Interesting. there are so many telltale signs of the times, but if you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. I always say, if you want to learn about fashion of the 1970s, you can watch Little House on the Prairie or Happy Days. Yeah. Once they strayed from the initial seasons, you'll see extreme everything that veers from what it was supposed to be the periods they were supposed to be taking place and is of the exact year that they were filmed right it's amazing to see yeah and yeah. that's why when people try to do stuff like oh my stuff's timeless i'm not good luck yeah you that's have no that... idea what you're in the middle of you have no right. idea of your context i when i was about 13 i still do to a degree i'm 51 now or i'll be 52 soon in the early 1980s, when I was about 12, 13, I would see pictures of people in polyester and terrible fashion from the 70s. And I made a vow to myself at that age, don't dress in a way that will make you look and say, boy, did I look stupid 10 years later. And you can kind of guess it to a degree, but you don't, you just don't know. I had no idea. There's a lot of things going on in the world now that none of us would have predicted back yes. then. And I remember like even in the 90s, there's a painting of somebody holding a telephone and had the curly cue connected. I didn't think yes. that would be a, a thing of history within five years. Yeah. Just, don't know. But no, that's that there, is there are telltale signs. So you can there's certain trends you can go, okay, you know that's going to be out of style real fast. 
Yes. Yes. No. I, and and Dominicans, given that, and just on the pure style fashion, we wear we wear a habit that's been out of style for a long time, but wasn't style when it was put on. Um, but we stick to it anyway. Um, I want to go to look at your hair and glasses. Your hair sort of wouldn't yeah, we don't... been around even thirty years ago. Yep, that's right. Uh, the... Even for Dominican, and then your glasses, those changed. Oh, the glasses, like glasses and ties. Yeah, glasses you can change over time. And we're now back to a thicker one as opposed to, yeah. Anyway, we don't and your do this. Bluetooth, by the way, would not a would probably 10, 15 years ago. No. Oh, my gosh. Never, yeah. They think exactly. And 10 years, 10 years ago, we have no idea. So, yeah. Yeah. There's telltale no. signs. In a sense, there's telltale signs, and there's a lot of flux, of course, and people are scared of flux and change. But what I like about the art, in the sense you talked about, you're you're very much in the present, but also with a tradition, with the past, bring that in the fusion of tradition and future. And that's why I want to look at with your art. So this is where if you if you have a, you know, if you have if you want to go to on, on online, you can look at look at something here. So I want to look first. We've got some pictures. This is you at at work here. Um, so working on a painting, and this is. This is maybe the American urban version of uh, in plain air painting. So painting outside. So you notice in this this in this image here, you're painting. We're going to see this actual painting uh, a little bit later. Um, you're painting a snowstorm here, uh, which is most people I think would probably say not the ideal conditions to be painting. But for you, this was an important. This was part of the well, at least for a period of time, right? Oh, it's still. I mean, this was the color study for a bigger painting. Okay. Oftentimes, I'll rent a U-Haul and do a much larger painting on location. This one, because it was snowing so hard, I, it was during the Super Bowl a few years ago. We lost okay. power, and I just left uh, home and drove to downtown Chicago and worked on the color study. I had to keep cleaning off the palette because there was so much snow falling on it. A couple of tourists who were very nice, who happened to be taking a walk, photographed me and then emailed me the image. Um, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it like... If I had been doing this out of my head, I probably would have been using different colors. And you can get some, you know, I like to try to get the best I can as far as results. And usually the more, uh, when you work from life, there's a lot of it, a lot of mm. things that are much better besides being completely truthful to what you're seeing. And then if you wanna change it, you can change it. And you get these unexpected surprises that make things a lot less predictable. And I probably might, if I had not been out there, would wouldn't would have made the painting much brighter, but it wouldn't have been as good. Doesn't yeah. mean white color doesn't necessarily mean good color, and you're doing relationships. A lot of times, to get the mm. brightest color, I'll paint a lot of different grade down colors around it or contrasting stuff. Um, but it's what's there, and it's what creates yeah. it. And I'm doing mostly relationships. No, and that's and I I think so. If we move on to your, your oh, oh Lance... one other thing you asked about the impressionism for me yes. it's how, yeah, it's, it's the appearance. So yes. you don't, it, it, like when somebody says, oh, that person had pretty eyes, unless you're close up and somebody goes, well, then what color were they? Unless they either have very unusual colored eyes, like the people that have those icy white eyes, or um, which is very, very rare. Or like, I don't know, Elizabeth Taylor had like violet eyes almost. You, that, it's more the structure and what you, you recognize somebody from across the street. The big things, not the yes. tiny details. And yeah. that's how it appears. Yeah, sorry. No, that's great. And I think it turns on. So these, so here we've got um, so some of your landscape paintings, you could say. Um, this is uh, this is Walden Bridge at like in Lake Forest, uh, outside Chicago. Um, and you, the colors here are just spectacular. And I'm just going to pop through two of these, and we'll talk about them. And this is uh, playing around the magnolia. Um, and then we have one of my favorites here, Wesley and Western. 
Uh, I think it is on a snowy. So Chicago, a lot of you love the snow. Chicago, Chicagoans have to love snow, I suppose. But someone might say, well, these are good paintings, of course, but they're not as good as pictures. And they're, we only have landscape paintings because people didn't have cameras. But once we had cameras, this is kind of a thing of the past. You need to move to, say, abstract art that you can't get pictures on. I suspect you have a, most of our listeners, of course, are probably not inclined towards that argument and are confused by abstract art and wonder why they have to say that they like it. And I suspect you as an artist can, can actually give reasons why, well, actually the, the camera doesn't help with any of the, the camera doesn't replace this kind of realistic art, we could say. Yeah. Um, well, like I said earlier, you see through your eyes, not with them. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to get documentary detail of things often usually a camera would be more effective but if you're trying to get uh how somebody actually is sensing it and perceiving it and observing it hopefully that comes back through the because it's filtering through somebody who's got what i would call fresh eyes hopefully you end up with something that wouldn't be uh mm. the same if, it, if you're just trying to slavishly copy a photograph this was a commission i did of, mm -hmm. a number of years ago and yeah, I ended up combining a few different elements, but the main thing is it, it's how I perceived it and tried, you know, I designed it and composed it, which you also could do mm. on a computer, but there's something different about painting. I've spoken to you, I've, and this isn't the first mm -hmm. time we've spoken. And one yes. of the times I, I used what I would consider a pure example, who was very uh, denigrated in my, when, when I was younger, now that he's been long dead and did what he did for a living almost doesn't exist. Norman Rockwell, was, was the example I gave because mm -hmm. his stuff was purely commercial in the sense that it was almost always a commission. And it was, if you look at it in person, there's a lot less there it was done for reproduction. But if you, he worked almost exclusively, like an extreme, um, to an extreme extent from photographs mm -hmm. and a lot of, like he would project them and trace them. But if you actually look at his photograph sources versus his paintings, somehow like, it's hard to explain. There's almost like a magic to it. Um, there's parts I could explain, but other parts like I can't yet maybe mm -hmm. somebody could, but not entirely. There's like a magic when it goes through somebody who's an artist, not somebody who's just trying to make it look like a photograph. Um, where it became, you probably have a better term because I'm speaking on a religious podcast, but he created iconic images mm -hmm. of say yes. the four freedoms yes. or he did the civil rights paintings that captured everything of what they were supposed to. And in the sixties, he did a lot of civil rights paintings for the civil rights movement. And as photographs, they're mediocre, but somehow transferred through uh, his brain and his hand they became something totally different and better and more dynamic. Yes. But if you're trying to get pinpoint accuracy of this at that point in this thing, uh, sometimes the painting will be better, sometimes the photograph. But for the other thing, I generally, if you have a really good painter, go with that. If you have a bad one, uh, it's your choice. Yeah, I think, and you got I, the iconic thing, uh, I think is right because the pictures, if you go online, you can look at Norman Rockwell, they'll be pick, the heap, painting from pictures. But he got the, the iconic aspect to me seems to be about the form. The artist, the true genius of an artist is being able to grasp, in a sense, the form of, of reality, which is different than, say, it's material stuff. Now, of course, it organizes the material, 
but it's as as we're come from a to, from a Thomistic perspective, we talk about things being composed of form and matter, and the photograph, to my mind, is really on the matter side of things. It collects, as you say, these data points and all of this, but the form is something that has a unity to it, and it's something that is grasped by an intelligence. And the artist, to my mind, what the beauty of, of the power of the artist is, he's he or she is able to grasp a form and put it on something. And so with Norman Rockwell's, for instance, everyone remembers like the four freedoms, the, I think it's the freedom of speech, maybe, where the man's standing up about to give this speech in a congregational mm -hmm. church, I suspect. Now, yeah. the picture of that probably wouldn't be that interesting, but somehow he is able he was able to grasp the form of what that freedom is about and put it in a material material kind of form that still had this tension between well the paint the color all of this but the, it's really getting at the form and i mean i think same thing true in a very general sense about like this painting here with the car you get motion uh, as you're painting, from a painting, say, different than you do from a picture, because in a sense, you're the one composing it in time, and I think you can grasp the form of motion and put it on put it on a, a canvas in a different way than even pictures just have that static quality. I think it's about, again, I think it's about grasping the form, which is kind of a, a non-material organizing principle, but something that is, of course, very much due to our own grasping as human beings, and as you say, seeing through, through eyes. Um, I want to take, I want to talk about one other thing. You're also not just, if you're making not just the study, although study can be a finished painting in its own right, you're not just recording an image, you're creating one. And if you're aware of that, mm. then you're composing and making the whole thing come together. And that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I think, and we, I want to talk about that with, with portraiture, which you might think mm -hmm. is clearly this is outdated with selfies um but i i suspect that we'll have lots of things to say about this so we're just gonna take a quick break um and we'll be back with mr sam rosenthal an artist from chicago talking about the value of impressionistic realistic art and how artists see the world and how we see the world in a sense through our eyes as opposed to with them so we'll be right back you are listening to god's planning Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. And we're back with a special episode of Godsplaining. This is Guestsplaining. Uh, if you're joining us now, I don't know why you haven't joined for the earlier part, but uh, since this isn't a live show, but go ahead and uh, so enjoy being back with us with Mr. Sam Rosenthal, a uh, an artist from Chicago. We're talking about his painting and just impressionism in general. And we talked. We ended with talking about um, the aspect of painting versus pictures. And the fact that paintings get at the form of things and paintings are involved in creating things as opposed to just registering things. And that therefore they're a very human product, of course, and an active product. And I think this comes clearly in things like portraiture. And Sam mentioned uh, John Senior Sargent, who is near and dear to my heart. I think if you haven't seen a John Senior Sargent painting uh, in your life, you've missed out. And America has no reason to be ashamed of its uh, artistic genius when they have when you have a senior sergeant. But senior sergeant did a lot of portraits, and you might think that portraiture is a thing well in the past because we can take pictures of people and selfies and all of this, and it's so much better than a portrait. I think if you look at portraitures, you realize you're getting a different aspect of the human. But I want Sam, since Sam actually paints portraits, and here is one of my absolute favorites. Um, this is Anne Marie. 
I think it's called. And this is that you could have taken a picture. I'm sure you had many pictures of her in the same thing. But talk about the the difference between a picture and a portrait of someone and how how you get at this person. Because it feels like to me, you've got the something of the essence of her at this particular moment and something about her personality that like a picture just doesn't have. But maybe I'm wrong about that. But go ahead and ex- explain what's what's the value of portraits and what are how do they how do you how do you create them and how do we look at them? For me though, the hardest, I mean, I do figures in cityscapes, that, which involves moving light, moving figures, and landscape. Everything's in chaos, and you have to get all these windows in perspective. That might be the toughest, but to a large extent, uh, portraits are because I believe I believe they're, human beings are the most sensitive to themselves and to other humans. So if you have anything slightly off, it's obvious to everyone, not just the people who know her. And also you're trying to paint the way someone looks, the way they think they look, the way others see them and the way they want to look. And in the case of Anne-Marie, she was about 18 years old. So you're painting who she is and who you probably think she's going to be, like something that's mm. at her core will still be her, even though she won't look exactly the same in 20 or 40 years, it's still gonna be her. It's a real chance, it's an extreme challenge I think uh, this wouldn't even, it would be considered an okay photo of her. I, I think as a uh, portrait, it's a bit different. I, you select what you're going to emphasize, how it's going to be handled, and hopefully it'll be, oh, you also want it to be interesting to people that don't even know who they are, just as a painting in and of itself. Yeah. And hopefully you feel like you get a, I mean, she was a nice girl. Um, I, I've known her parents for a long time. I even painted her mom when she was pregnant with Anne-Marie. So wow. it goes back, I mean, it goes back, back a long way. And I painted well, her younger sister a couple of years later. And yeah. also, the flowers, but there were little bits. The flowers are from her garden. She has a sort of hippie-ish style. Her mom and dad met when her dad was in the Peace Corps in Chile. And her, her mom was a dental, I think a dental hygienist at the time. Mm-hmm. And they fell in love and came back to the Chicago area where Wow. He was from, and so I tried to have little bits and pieces of all these things in the um, in the painting that was reflective of her, her family, and her like the house she grew up in, where they had a great garden, mm-hmm. and that's where the flowers are from. And yeah, she's I, a nice person. So yeah, that was how I did that. Well, no, I think, and and I mean, there's an old trope where Indian, you know, the Native Americans are, Indian, you, know, you could say. Uh, didn't want to get in pictures because they thought pictures would steal their soul. And I'm looking at this portrait and looking at Senior Sergeant. I, 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 I always feel like actually they should have said, don't paint us. Pictures don't get the soul. Pictures get like material constitution. But when we talked about that form aspect, uh, the personality, the form of the person that structures this. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know how she, I'm sure she enjoyed this this painting, but, um, and, and saw it as, as reflected, but you get, there's just something it feels like it's in motion. It feels like it's 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 active. It feels like this is real. I feel like I kind of have a sense if I met her, I would already have a knowledge of not just what she looked like, but who she is. And I feel like pictures tell you what people look like. And if you construct them right, the right time cap, you know, candidates, you can kind of catch maybe someone who's, but with a portrait, if you when done well, you you get like an essential feature. I think you get to the essence of that per, there's some the personality, I should say. The formal aspect of it, and I just get a sense that there's this kind of impishness to her. Not quite sure, you know. I'm. I don't know. It's. It's. It's even hard to put into words because she's people about. Are hard to put I, I wanted to have her face where she's. A, you can tell she's about to change. 
like she's about to say something or in her face. Yes. About to, she's between expressions. Yeah, that's and, and that's you can get the movement, but also she, yeah, she was a very nice just person, and I wanted to get that. And uh, I, there are good photographic portraits, but it is different in a large part because you're constructing it from nothing into something as opposed to a photograph, you know, photograph where you have it all. And then yeah. you, to some degree editing, you, in both cases, you edit it down, but this one you're doing it from, it's like cooking from scratch. Yes. And that can end up with the best meals or the worst meals as opposed it, to having to mix. Yeah, if you have a good chef, it ends up with the best meals. If you have me, it ends up with the worst. I want to compare this. Uh, so this is um. So what, this this picture, by the way, yours, and you're going to hate this comparison because Senior Sergeant is. Yeah, I suffer a little bit on this. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but there's this reminded me the Lady Ag Agnew of uh, Lokla, uh, Loknow uh, of Senior Sergeants. This is just one of his uh, masterpieces because he catches an expression. She seems like she's between expressions. She's about this movement. And I thought these very, you know, very similar. Um, we'll, we'll give Sergeant well, a. Okay, well, I mean, there might be some similar. His is, I mean, they they had some Louis Betts paints, which were almost at Sergeant levels in their family. Okay. From of the great grandparents, yeah, her, or great great her great great grandparents, I think. But yeah, the handling of the skirt of her skirt is similar to the background fabric mm -hmm. in the um, chair. Yeah. yeah, on this one, if you want to talk about being between it, if you look at her, the way her, she has both her head tilted down and looking straight at you at the same time, which is quite a, uh, there's a lot of things that are amazing, like the brush stroke going down the, uh, mm -hmm. where the bow or whatever, the wraparounders tied and the yep. which is just economy of brush strokes. It's just beautiful and amazing. And he used a very limited palette uh, to and maximize it, which created a unity and strength but if you look at her face it's like her head is tilted down looking at you but at the same time it's as if it's straight up and down yes and looking so it's it's a weird and it shouldn't work but it does combination. it does and if you look at how he paints hair he doesn't paint any he, it's all masses it's all just what's important to the picture slight bit of light hitting it to create the form other than that it's a solid mass of varying uh soft and hard edges between her head, you know, her face and the hair and the background in the hair, but it's done with so little, but everything is just, he had incredible taste and incredible hand, uh, oh. just an incredible hand. I, I'd say he had great aim and yep. he knew he's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I don't think this is bad either. Uh, this is this is not a senior sergeant, but this is this is a this Sam Rosen. This is a Sam Rosenthal again, but this is again, uh, the, this is called the curmudgeon. And again, this is now not a commission. people usually don't pay to be painted that way unless they have a really good sense of humor. Right. No, I, but I love this. I, I suspect this man loved this. But this one actually is interesting because whereas in 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 this one, she's the clearly it's it's her and the flowers in the background, of course, are bringing to it. Whereas here he's he's much less of a central aspect. I mean, he's a central aspect, but there's this giant space that mm -hmm. he doesn't contain at the moment. Uh, and yet that ad, that distance adds to him of like, well, you wouldn't want to be sitting there he doesn't want you sitting next to him there. He's yeah, suspicious. He's there seems to be like you're way. moving towards him, but you're, he's, the motion is incredible. He's um, basically doing everything he can to shield himself and uh, not be open to you. If you look at it, he's basically like protecting himself and he's cornered. He's on the corner of the couch. He's not on the corner of well, his feet are on the far side. He wants you to keep a distance. 
and he's a, actually a super nice guy. Uh, this might be a little weird for your uh, podcast. He was a priest. He married okay. a woman that was a nun and then became a lawyer and a law professor. Okay. But he, he was um, very active um, with the church uh, yeah. on the corner from our house and very helpful. And just he was he lived behind the alley from us. When we used to live in Oak Park, Illinois. Super yeah. nice guy. Good neighbor. Wow. And he said it looked just like his twin. He has a twin brother. Oh, wow. Well, the face, the light on the everything else is it's like the darkness. You directed right. You directed right yeah. to the face, you know, which is fantastic. OK, I want to talk uh, finally turning to um, what I think is another uh, brilliant achievements, a beautiful aspect of, of your work. We talked about urban impressionism and people think, OK, we talked about landscapes and everyone knows there's natural beauty. And then we talk about people and how you get the form and, and how, port, how portraits are so. And hopefully people will go out and uh, think more about portraits. But a lot of your work, because you're in Chicago, is on cityscapes, mm -hmm. and so this is the the this is so this is a painting. This is a Michigan Ave Bridge, um, Michigan Avenue Bridge that you were painting a color study for that we saw earlier. Um, but a number of your paintings are in the city, and even like, I mean, just bridge kind of, you know, girders. These are there rivets. was a club called the Green Dolphin, so there's green light yes. hitting the bridge. Okay, this is the Green Dolphin Bridge. Yes, and this, I mean, so. I'm going to put again another impressionist mm -hmm. here. This is uh, Gustav Kaibot, uh, um, who also did very similar similar work, but made. Is this is another one of yours as well? This is uh, Don. No, this is Twilight on the LaSalle Bridge. But you have a number of cityscapes, and I think people would think, well, I get natural beauty, but what the beauty of a city and the kind of emotion and motion and the reason. So why paint cities? One and do you, is it harder to get the beauty? to paint cities than it is to paint nature or is it, or is it just different? It's different. It can be harder in the sense that, you know how I said that people are very sensitive to humanity and human faces and I'm putting people in these, but also there's perspective in a lot of windows and I, there's architects that could really do the perspective great, but they aren't going to get the light effects. And there are people that go out and do plain air paintings. And these are done, I would rent U-Hauls and go on location for most of these, almost all of them, except for that uh, snow one where I did the color studies, mm -hmm. um, like that one. And that one's 10 feet wide and five feet, four inches tall. Oh, no, no, it's, no, it's bigger than that. It's six, what am I saying? It's way bigger than that. It's, uh, I think, six feet tall now. And, um, I would rent a U-Haul and go back and forth. And there's my my daughter's um, one of the characters and she posted a lot of them, but she's the main one, right? Uh, well, pointing at something nobody can see. Not that one, the next one. Okay, this one. What? Yeah, her. Okay. And she was about 12. Yeah. And I'm trying to get a fleeting light effect. I'm trying to get, and all these different light sources, which confuses you just have to give up what you know and see through the eyes of an educated child and say, this is what I see. These are the relationships, not what I think is there. You have to get what's there. Mm -hmm. And a camera is not gonna get those things. And you have to make choices because you don't have the color and value range. It's one of the hardest things. If you look at it, there's a lot of people in it. It's, mm -hmm. one of, but and when you do it this big, where it's almost just about life size, you feel, I like it because it feels like you can walk inside the painting. You can look yes. at a picture as a whole and get, get closer, it'll get looser and more painterly as you get in less like a photo, you know, not that it looks like a photograph, but it won't look at all like it and 
person when you get close, but you can walk in, like you can walk inside it. And that's also part of the composition where you have the spiral staircase as if you're going to go down it. Yes. And it's a, it was, it was a huge, you know, very complicated. I'm trying to simplify things a little more. Mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. yeah. Complicated doesn't mean better or worse is it's how you do it. Yeah. Um, well, this is stronger. Well, and I love how you mentioned, yeah, you're trying to get at what, what's actually there. Um, because again, the the phenomenology, if those are familiar with, and people, our listeners might be familiar with Pope John Paul II, who brought phenomenology and Husserl's uh, study into the Catholic Church, really, and the sense that you going back, he said, going back to the things themselves, but through how we perceive them. So it's a study of how peer, how things appear to us as they are in themselves. And so that by focusing on this, our relationships to them, we actually get closer to the things themselves, as opposed to treating them as just per objects. And then actually, we're not actually treating them as they are at all. So you're, the paintings here about the lines, if you look at cities, I think must be tough because you have so many hard lines to do. And yeah. as you can see, the lines, they don't always match, but they're, it's because it's about your perception, your experience of them and the movement towards them because lines change as you move with them and you have to capture that in the I mean, painting itself. There's a, there's a few other things. And this is where I, hopefully I'm good at everything. I'd like to think so. Although I have mm -hmm. bad days a lot. Mm -hmm. You, in city, like if you're in this day and age, people are on to, oh, what a beautiful landscape. And if they live in it, they might forget about it. But then they, can be reminded oh yeah cities people are trying to get to and from from one destination to another and they don't seem to beyond a few you know times here or there realize wow look at all this and only if something changes like there's a building that's not mm -hmm. in this painting but it's across the water just off of where the painting is on the right where they project mm -hmm. things on it at nighttime during this summer you can see these weird little movies that are predicted on the entire Board of Trade building. I mean, not Board of Trade. Um, oh, God. Federal Trade building? Is that Merchandise Mart. Merchandise, okay. And, but that's what attracts people, not uh, if you're, unless you're a tourist. And I try to do things where I don't, uh, they aren't super obvious usually about mm -hmm. what the landmarks are. Yes. Uh, but. Yeah, I didn't see any water make, towers. Yeah. Yeah. People or the Sears Tower or something here in Chicago yeah. or the Capitol yeah. in DC. But it will make it so that everything has been designed in our lives. It's become much more that way. It used to be if you had a garbage can, it was very utilitarian. Now, even those, if you, if you stop to think about it, almost every, even the cheapest one at the at Target or Walmart is designed. Mm. It's, it's aesthetically planned. We, we have an overkill of it. But people forget about that and don't really appreciate it because they're just in the they're in the moment, but they're not present. And this hopefully can get them back to that enthusiasm. I first started going to Chicago on my own, which I think would get my parent, my mom mm -hmm. in jail these days because I live 30 miles away when I was about 11 and a half. Can't do that as a parent anymore. Mm -hmm. I could just take the train. And it was just this cool thing to be in the city. I try to capture some of that freshness of spirit and eye. Yes. You know, educated and through experience, but still that enthusiasm and spark of life that you know, try to translate that to, for other people. And people do that all the time through you know, music or other right. means. But that's where painting comes in for me is to help. And people see me, except for generally speaking, and even not all of them, 
dislike it, but it seems to be basically every walk of life. I've had CEOs, priests, mm -hmm. prostitutes, gang members, policemen. They all like to see what I'm doing and enjoy it. Right. And it's a very unifying thing because it's rare, but also they don't, it gives them the, that sort of, it's a direct way of communicating in a sense that other people don't have. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and the it's idea, not, yeah. here's, here's where I think you're getting to the beginning. I'm sorry. You're talking about mm -hmm. it being a gift and that can be annoying. Kind of like when I do paintings and they say it looks like a, a photograph. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's annoying, but I understand they don't mean harm. And the, it's, it, yeah, you have to have some sort of vision or aesthetic for what you're doing unless you're just copying other people. But you still, it's a lot of work. And same with like, if you have an athlete, you can have a gifted athlete, but the tip top guys have all have combined that with a ton of work that they, people don't seem to see that with this stuff. I think in large part, because a lot of what is, they're told is really good is not so good. Yeah, that's that's right. I think they're told art again. This we started with this that that art is just something some people have and others don't. And so you think about a lot of modern art, it just doesn't look like it requires a lot of skill. And then and so they think that maybe art's really that easy. But um, a professional and an expert in any field is someone who has a ton of training and is able to ideally make it look easy for the person. So that a good painter, to my mind, uh, is able to let people see things around them in a way they hadn't seen before without having to do all the composition work in a sense, bringing out again the essence or the forms of things in the way that say a good philosopher uh, is supposed to bring out the distinctions in thinking and thought so that other people can just step in and almost say, well, yeah, it's obvious. Like, and when you look at the kind of, this kind of realistic art, as you say, or the impressionist art, some people say, well, yeah, what, what's so special about that? Well, actually a ton is special about it because it requires an expertise to be able to do this for the purpose of seeing things again for the first time as we should as good as, as human beings. And it brings out the beauty of the human condition and our experience of each other and nature and in a way that most people couldn't do. So that's the gift, the gift of the artist, I think, is, is to bring out forms and let people see through their well-trained and gifted eyes so that we don't have to make it from, from scratch. Also, also, I think an appreciation for how much the beauty that's around you. And also, maybe you don't think about it even when looking at the work. The amount of work that went into the world you're able to walk in on the shoulders of architects and construction mm -hmm. you know people died making those bridges yeah uh, just a lot of stuff that uh has been designed and worked for you i think maybe with the land like there used to be cityscapes 500 years 400 years ago that were you know and 300 years ago they were very uh, hyper detailed and extremely appreciate. I think maybe landscapes are more that way now because you didn't really see too much straight landscapes in Western art. You did see it in Chinese and Japanese ink paintings, but where it was just a straight landscape, they sometimes had as backgrounds for figures like Mona Lisa, mm -hmm. but uh, you know those that of that era, but not in and of themselves until the Industrial Revolution, probably because it was under threat. So people people didn't necessarily appreciate it the same way. It was more of a threat, something that could kill you that you were dependent on, but it wasn't something that you had under control. Mm -hmm. And at the time when cities were novel and urban living, that was, I think, covered more that way during the you know 1600s and later. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm well, not sure on that. But it seems yeah. like it's an idea. Well, Sam, I mean, 
I want to talk, and I'm sure that the listeners and hopefully viewers at this point, if you started listening, you probably shifted over to watching, I hope, um, more about the hearing, to hear an artist talk about the creation, about colors, about all this, about constructing, about seeing, seeing things, um, and the way you compose. We could go on forever, but uh, our, our listeners do have commutes, and it is probably time yeah. to wrap up. So I want to um, note that uh, so for our listeners, and thank you for for this, and we'll, our right. listeners, this is if you go, you'll notice in the bottom of of all the feeds and such, you'll see um, samrosenthal.com. You'll have a link to his website. You can just look, type in Sam Rosenthal Fine Arts or Sam Rosenthal Art, uh, and you'll and you'll get the website as well. Um, there you'll have linked all the information about Sam, his different exhibits that he's been around. And also, he, uh, Sam has a studio just outside of Chicago, um, and and he's going to be doing a one man show, I think, um, this is coming in in the next month or two. So, you, and the, that'll be on the website as well. But Sam, do you want to say anything about um, about your studio in Chicago, or would could people come and visit you, or anything like that? We have some Chicago listeners, oh, yeah. I'm sure. I have a, I do my I have a studio which I work out of in Lake Bluff, Illinois, in a gallery space that has about fifty or sixty paintings in uh, Vernon Hills, Illinois. They're both a couple towns from each other and they're about 30 miles north of Chicago. So if you're anywhere near, just contact me. We can make an appointment. It'd be great to meet you, talk to you, anybody. Love to hear from you on the phone or anyway, it would just be nice. And yeah. Um, That's great. That'd be great. Fantastic. And we, we, I'm absolutely delighted to have you on here. So um, so thank you for coming on and sharing, and we're going to have to have you on again to talk about Husserl and uh, and and seeing the eidetic reduction. I've got plenty of thoughts about that, so we'll we'll bring you back. But um, for us here at God's Pointing, um, we're praying for all of you listening. Uh, if you like this episode, or if you have other people that would like this, you have some artists. This we get different perspectives on guest planning, so please feel free to share um, this episode with anyone who who doesn't normally listen to to these podcasts or watch these podcasts. Um, and like us on Facebook and Twitter and all those kind of general social media things. Someone else is usually doing this part. But I'll thank again uh, Sam Rosenthal for joining us, and I hope thank everyone you. is having a great summer and a great August as they prepare for the. Uh, fall semester. So we're praying for you. Pray for us. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.